Welcome to the Temple Forum, a podcast from First United Methodist Church in the heart of Chicago. Here we welcome a diversity of voices and conversation about how we live in the world as people of faith. Hello, this is Jan Engmeyer. This installment of the Temple Forum continues a conversation with Foster Pinckney, an organizer and writer who is pursuing a Ph.D. in religious ethics at the University of Chicago Divinity School. In the first installment, Foster talked about his scholarship about Frederick Douglass and W.E.B. Du Bois and human dignity. We continue the conversation with an examination of critical race theory and Foster's hopes for our human dignity going forward. A term that we hear a lot is, uh, or lately anyway, is critical race theory. Um, can you help us better understand what that term means and uh, why it's important? Yeah, so um, critical race theory was sort of developed uh, in the 1980s and it emerges from uh, critical legal studies and anti-colonial studies. So it, tries to examine the reality of white supremacy built into the structures of our society, how we interact with state institutions, the legal system, uh, our approach to social problems like poverty, police violence, and the distribution of resources. So it's a sort of a way to think about the, the core of what makes injustice possible uh, when we interact with each other. I think there are earlier instances of critical race theory <laughs> An application um, before the 1980s, I think of Sir Jonah Truth's um, Ain't I a Woman, which I think mm -hmm. is just a, the key text for critical race theory um, and intersectionalism. The way Douglas uses uh, race to understand justification, both legally and ethically, in the aftermath of lynchings, engages with critical race theory the way we would recognize it now. Um, think about the institutions that work sort of the core of white supremacy, which allows people to justify their actions after they happen. Now, I would also say that, that the civil rights movement, especially in the way it engaged with legal authorities, the constitution, and even the um, Supreme Court, uh, was highly, highly reminiscent of what we would call critical race theory, bringing down sort of the institutional biases at work that we see in things like school systems and how police violence is used by the state, but also in, in the access people have to social welfare, social welfare programs. The fact that those are being used to restrict and suppress people um, all has to do with the sort of white supremacy built in to the very structure of our society. Um, I think this became really apparent during the COVID-19 pandemic too. Exactly. Exactly. Sort of peeled the layers off and, uh-oh, we got some problems. Yeah, just an unequal distribution, unequal education around uh, COVID-19 and vaccines in general. And the healthcare access. Yeah, and, and just a basic distrust. Minorities who are knowing the history of white supremacist <laughs> medical establishment and things like uh, forced infertility, uh, medical trials. These are all fresh and sort of the imaginary of, of Black people and uh, all people of color, I think. Uh, well, a lot of this didn't happen all that long ago. 
yeah, it's it's there's still people around. Um, I was watching the news the other day, and they were talking about the Tulsa um, race riots. This is the hundredth hundred year anniversary, and there are still five people who lived through it. It's amazing. It's yeah, hundred years yeah. ago. They're still here. They're still telling their stories, which um, is great because yeah. we need to hear those stories. Exactly. Yeah. So it's 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 sort of constant in the way we look at the world, the way we understand how the United States is operating within itself, this understanding of, of critical race theory. It has limitations. Uh, it can be totalizing at, at points, and it's not known for being uh, particularly uh, sensitive to the differences within the Black community itself, different um, understandings of Blackness and different ways of expressing Blackness. That's a good point. It's not monolithic. Right, right. right. Yeah. But it's, it's, I think it's an important way to examine our country when we think of slavery and the uh, decimation of uh, Native population as inherent to the way we think about United States, uh, that it couldn't have happened without those forces. And the uh, fact that this is sort of uh, proposed as a new theory to, to think about things when our founding fathers were thinking about those very things, <laughs> they knew this was sketchy when they were doing it when they didn't get rid of slavery in the constitution uh, and other countries recognize the hypocrisy in the way we're thinking and talking of uh, human rights. So it's always been there. I actually tracked down sort of three key texts that people can look at. Um, so there's uh, Kimberly Crenshaw's Mapping the Margins. I think the first sort of scholarly article to really look at intersectionality and how critical race theory applies to violence against black women specifically. Um, and it's just important to thinking about how critical, face, uh, critical race theory has evolved over the last 30 plus years since it was written. <laughs> it's been a while. There's also um, Richard Delgado's um, The Imperial Scholar, really making those connections between critical race theory and anti-colonial scholarship, how we think of how race is working internationally and the kind of connections we can make between the Black experience here the Latino experience here and those um, under domination in other countries. And um, finally, um, James Cone's Black Theology and Black Power, which uh, is foundational to Black theology, but also I think has influenced and impacted critical race theory um, as it's been studied. His understanding of how we think of God and Jesus, the colors applied to their being, mm -hmm. and especially the, the place of white the white church and upholding white supremacy were really critically examined in that text. He called the uh, mainline white church, uh, the antichrist, um, <laughs> big language. <laughs> yes. But, uh, uh, so sort of calling out white churches and how they're related to power in the United States. Um, I think he toned down some of those, <laughs> those, um, concepts uh, later on in his work. Um, but that initial work is just so powerful and so interesting. Um, it sort of reflects uh, how we think of race and white supremacy moving uh, throughout our ethical understandings of how to treat each other. Well, thank you for sharing those resources. That's, that's really wonderful. Um, so we can look those up. Um, I know I grew up uh, uh, in 
uh, an almost all white church. We had some diversity, but not much. Um, and uh, the big picture we had on the wall was the Warner Salmon Scandinavian Jesus, you know, Jesus with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, you know, and it's like, yeah, I don't think so. Um, he was a Mediterranean Jew, right? So, um, and everyone and everyone sees it differently. So, and should, um, right? So you can't really, yeah. Yeah, I always say um, it's always important to look at sort of who you're worshiping with and to who are the people you're you're in solidarity with, um, who you're taking lessons from, who you're teaching. So even in when we talk about critical race theory, in a way it's sort of used in the United States today, uh, you have to look at the people who are against critical race theory. Are those people standing up for justice? Are those people standing up for equality? No. <laughs> Uh, so the fact that they're attacking some of principles and understandings of white supremacy uh, should leave people of conscience to pick a side, <laughs> to really think through why it's being attacked and what they can learn from it. Uh, it's, it's not a coincidence that it's happening now. What, what's your hope for the country going forward? Do you think we're ever going to love our neighbors as ourselves and treat each other with the dignity that every human being deserves? I always try to remember that there was a time before white supremacy and there will be time after. Uh, and that it's important that we stay alert to the new forms of domination uh, that could replace it. Just like white supremacy replaced sort of Roman imperialism. <laughs> there's, there's always another way to hurt people and to treat others as disposable. I think I am at heart, I'm very optimistic about humans <laughs> uh, and the human condition. I think that we are naturally able to empathize with each other uh, and to love one another. And I think often the sort of material pressures uh, and structures of power that, that are necessary when we're together as a group, those can be misused to bring up animus on different levels in different ways. Mm -hmm. So it's white supremacy is just another instance of this kind of degradation of the human spirit and of domination. I think. I think there's hope for humanity. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Glad to hear you say that. Yeah. I think most of that hope just comes through learning to listen to one another and to making society as a whole um, more, more empathetic, that we're not necessarily in competition with one another, but the advances in technology and communications should mean that we come to deeper understandings of each other and a realization that there's plenty for everyone. It's not us against them. It's all of us together trying to live <laughs> and trying to be better and trying to sort of uh, live into our, few, our full humanity. I always think people pretty much want the same thing, right? You know, yeah. want to love and be loved and yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, have they joyful want, lives. Yeah. They want food and shelter, but they also want, they want community. They want understanding. Uh, they want the freedom to pursue, pursue their goals and to grow as people. I think we're getting to a point as a species where we no longer have to have sort of a feudal imagination about how society should be set up, that there has to be a lower for there to be a higher, and that people need to fight and scrabble to get to these sort of upper echelons. We all can have what we need, and we all can have what we want as humans, but it can't come or dominating each other. Very well said. That's a good way to end it. Thank you, Foster Pinckney.
I'm Jan Engmeyer. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Temple Forum. You've been listening to the Temple Forum from First United Methodist Church in Chicago. You can find more conversations like this online at chicagotemple.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us again soon.